Welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome or welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. So pleased that you're able to join us today, not least uh, because I'm joined again by Mark Ostriker, uh, who leads uh, the Youth Cartel, who's been in youth ministry for more than four decades. And we had just a, a absolutely fascinating conversation last month about the development of the teenage brain and it was so good uh, that we didn't want to squash out all of the the great information and so we're doing two episodes with Marco and so he's back with us this month to talk again uh, and develop that theme a little further but just before I ask Marco some more questions let me extend extend an invitation to you uh, to the children's worker in your church as well to Limitless Leaders on the 18th to the 20th of January 2022. We're going to be at the Hayes Conference Center for for three days of practical input, of spirit-filled ministry, of like-minded community, and you are so welcome to join us. Uh, We're going to be engaging in some really relevant and timely topics for youth and children's ministry right now. There's an opportunity for one-to-one consultancy. Uh, There's a specific bespoke children's stream and youth stream, and lots of time for, for prayer and worship and ministry. So Uh, we'd love it if you could join us for that go to limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash leaders find out what that's all about get yourself booked in we're going to have an incredible three days together Uh, but enough of that from me Marco uh, welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast thanks so so great to have you with us now now last month Marco it was just a a really fascinating really helpful uh, conversation. You, you talked to us about the different parts of the brain and how they're developed or underdeveloped in teenagers yeah. uh, and, and about the implications of, of that on our youth ministry. So I really want to encourage you, if you've just picked up this episode, pause it, go back to last month and listen to that one first, because I think we will refer back to some of the things we, we, we talked about last month. But, but up front last time, Marco, you spoke about how the really critical thing Uh, to know about the big headline the page one headline is the uh, onset of abstract thinking now um, abstract thinking you write in uh, a parent's guide to understand the teenage brain in a nutshell is thinking about thinking it's thinking about thinking and it has a gigantic implication on the daily life of a teenager so unpack that a little bit further for us marco Uh, tell us what is abstract thinking and why is it so important that we understand it Absolutely. Uh, so prior to, as we grow up, the, the brain goes through several stages of how it processes information, how it knows what's true. Um, and uh, the preteen, and by that, I mean like nine, 10 year olds, they are, and younger, they're locked in what we would call concrete thinking, right? It's black and white thinking. Yeah. It's either or thinking or very clear. There's no nuance, no gray, no paradox, no tension, mm-hmm. right? And then with the onset of abstract thinking, that starts to change. And that happens, that change starts to happen with the onset of puberty. So I think of it as God's puberty gift. And and so maybe my creative and uh, <clears throat> slightly odd imagination, but I just picture, you know, this uh, this eleven year old kid having hitting puberty has the puberty party, and uh, in the corner of the living room is the puberty tree, and there's puberty gifts under it, and one of them is from God, 
and it's beautifully wrapped and it's got a little tag on it that says dear johnny happy puberty love god and inside is this new ability to think abstractly and it's like a muscle it's not technically a muscle right it's a brain function but it think of it this way it's good metaphor it's like a muscle that's never been used. It's mm-hmm, straight out mm-hmm. of God's warehouse. It's cellophane wrapped. Johnny unwraps it and installs it in his brain. But it takes years of use before it's uh, it's really mm-hmm. good at mm-hmm. working. And so young teens, as soon as they're post-puberty, they have this capacity. They're just lousy at using it. Mm-hmm. It's like a muscle that's never been used. You know, I, I if you've ever had a part of your body immobilized for a little while and then went to use it again, you remember what that's like. I, I cut deep into my thumb once uh, in a working in a kitchen and mm. I had to have it, it bandaged up uh, mm. for, I think, six weeks or so. So it was immobilized. And when I that was over, the doctor, you know, examined it and said, it's fine. Move your thumb. And I remember staring at my thumb and willing it to move in ways that had always worked, but it wouldn't move and couldn't make it do it. And then like later that day, I got a tiny wiggle back and about a week later I had 50% movement and it took about two weeks for all the movement to get back. Well, that's very much what's going on in the lives of teenagers with the onset of abstract thinking, the capacity's there, but it takes them years of using it. So That means they're not always going to go there. They're often going to be still thinking or hearing you in black and white and concrete ways. Now, that might sound all confusing. So let me unpack abstract thinking a little bit, Mm. what it is. Yeah. Uh, It has a bunch of functions, but the two big ones, the two subheadlines are speculation and third-person perspective. Yeah. Speculation is being able to reflect on what if and why questions. Yeah. That's speculation. Preteens and children do not have that cognitive capacity, but now young teens and uh, older teenagers have the ability to, on their own, wrestle with uh, what if and why questions. And then clearly they have the capacity that if you take them to the shores of speculation, then they can go there uh, on also. Right. Mm, so mm. that's a biggie. The other biggie, a uh, third person perspective is considering yourself from somebody else's point of view yeah. or considering somebody else from somebody else's point of view, even considering an idea from somebody else's point of view. That's yeah, third person yeah. perspective. And I think in many ways, the easiest way to think about that or to understand that is imagine putting a nine year old girl in front of a mirror and asking her to describe herself. And what you'll get is a concrete description of what she sees and what people have told her about herself. But you put a 16 year old girl in front of a mirror and ask her to describe herself and you get a completely different kind of description. Mm. One that is primarily about her perception of what she thinks other people think about her maybe colored with some of that concrete stuff also. Right? Yeah, so, so so just to make sure I'm getting this, Marcus, so, so speculation, yeah. that, that's almost like there's a sense in which that's an, a, a, an element of that is the ability to consider a consequence of your actions, yeah. right? So if, if I steal this shopping trolley from Morrison's, this might happen as a result of that. And because it's underdeveloped, you get some of those kind of risky... Uh, behaviors yeah. because they're not thinking 
uh, speculatively. Right. And I guess, yeah, th- third-person perspective uh, being that ability to um, to to consider what how is that person receiving me, or or how are they feeling in this circumstance right now? Which uh, in the last episode when you spoke uh, about the temporal lobes, you were speaking yep. about how that isn't you know, young teens and particularly young teen guys aren't always able to put themselves in the shoes of others and experience those emotions. It's kind of empathy in that way, I guess. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yes, you are. Excellent. You're a good student. Thank you. Gold star for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. So So, so listen again, I just want to reiterate, this is critical that we understand this piece of it. They, uh, that you don't know at what moment the teenagers that you're working with are in concrete thinking mode or in abstract thinking mode. And everything we talk about in terms of church stuff, faith stuff, it's all abstract. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that a child can't have a meaningful and real faith. Jesus praises childlike faith. Jesus does not praise childish faith. Those are Mm -hmm. not the same thing. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I find regularly that, uh, when I'm working with a group of teenagers and we're talking about an abstract thing, think of like even a simple concept, like following Jesus Mm -hmm. is very abstract. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so when you're talking about something like that with a, a group of teenagers, they are hearing you in very different ways. Some are hearing in concrete, literal ways, and some are thinking abstractly. And unless you check for understanding, you are guessing in the dark. You just mm. have no idea. And the, the reality is it's not like every teenager marches along in concrete world and then suddenly a switch is tripped and now they're abstract thinkers. They are going in and out of concrete and abstract thinking all the time. Yes, you can assume if you work with younger teenagers they're going to be more concrete in their thinking and the boys more so than the girls. Girls are usually about a year and a half uh, or two years ahead of boys on most of these developmental things mm. with boys catching up at the end of adolescence, but adolescence is now considered to be 20 years long. So that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and you can assume that if you're working with 17, 18 year olds, they're much better at abstracting, particularly the girls are going to be, but you still have to check for understanding. Yeah, that's yep. really, really, really helpful. So, 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 how does the onset of abstract thinking impact on a teenager's emotions, Marco? Oh man, yeah. Well, understanding emotions uh, is abstract, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it is the the weirdness that you see in teenagers when it comes to their emotions, the fact that they're so emotionally volatile and unpredictable, and they have these strong emotions that seem to come out of nowhere, that is because directly because of the onset of abstract thinking. That's why, right? And so think of it this way. I think of like uh, preteens and children have a little painter's palette of emotions that they're trying to paint their emotional experience with and it's limited to the primary colors in black and white. So they have a yeah, very yeah, small yeah. option of emotional feelings and responses. And then at puberty, God replaces that and gives them this giant painter's palette with, you know, 150 colors and a mixing palette. And now they're trying to paint their emotional experience with this 
giant palette of emotions that they're not familiar with mm-hmm. and a mixing area where they can try try new things out. And so they're feeling things uh, that are new and to greater intensity levels than ever before, but it's foreign territory to them, right? It's new stuff. And so when uh, a kid's moping around and you say, why are you, you know, why are you sad? What's, what's going on? And he says, I don't know. Well, that might be the authentic, genuine response. He might really not know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, the emotional, I, I, one of the, I think action steps for us youth workers is to normalize their experience because yeah. as you look at teenagers and see them on this wacky roller coaster ride emotionally, imagine what it feels like for them, have some compassion and curiosity toward them as to what it feels like they're experiencing all this intensity emotionally but it's foreign ground to them and they're, they're unclear of, uh, of how to understand or interpret it. Uh, and so normalize their experience. First of all, help them know that what they're going through, what they're feeling is not only normal, it's good. And that they are moving to a place where this new understanding of emotions and the broader, uh, options that they have for emotions will contribute possibly potentially to uh, a more vital and vibrant life mm. uh, you know one of the uh, uh the ways that you apply that uh illustration of of the, the 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 painter's palette in the book which i have to say i found really really helpful mm. is you spoke about usually when boys get given this new uh you know palette of of, of colors and they yep. mix them together they come out with a like a beige and yeah. girls when they mix them together come out with a, a, a you know a, a a big bright you know garish like, yeah. color and yeah and that's that's why you know it tends to be that that uh, guys can feel sometimes quite morbid and monotone and flat in yeah. their emotions and girls can yeah. be quite reactive and responsive in their emotions and it's all to do with this onset of abstract thinking i, I found that to be like a really really helpful yeah. um uh, it helped me to understand it I, I i guess right yeah really really good what, what about relationships then um it, this must have an impact on on how I mean, teenagers of, do relationships think of how <clears throat> think of how different your day-to-day experience would be like you listener now as an adult if you didn't have third person perspective how that would impact conversations and friendships yeah uh and all that kind of stuff right so it's it's really that that onset of abstract thinking and specifically third person perspective it revolutionizes relationships Mm. so let's start with this let's start friendships preteens and children tend to form friendships based on proximity you and i are friends because we live near each other or spend a lot of time in the same place they're not as differentiated from one another and they can usually find a common interest. Um, but teenagers now with this uh, constantly active third-person perspective, trying to get a sense of what other people uh, think about me, not very good at it, but working that muscle all the time, uh, they start to form friendships in the same way that we do as adults, which is uh, based on affinity, not proximity. You and I are friends because we like the same thing or have the same values. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that is a a new way of forming friendships. It takes some work to learn 
some kids can figure it out really fast and others never figure it out. Right. Mm. But it's also an upheaval from the old way. So we often see young teens, particularly moving away from childhood friends and then trying to figure out uh, what does friendship look like for me? I find that boys and girls in general, and these are very broad generalities with a million exceptions, boys and girls tend to form friendships in different ways. Girls uh, tend to be verbal processors and form friendships based on talking. Okay, so you and I are friends because we talked and we shared something vulnerable together. And so teenage girls tend to form uh, friendship groups of two or three girls uh, with an extremely high level of expectation around commitment and vulnerability and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Right. And they work it all out by talking. Right? And, and this you must and be I, why, because this is certainly my experience in youth ministry. I'll obviously let you speak about the guys in a minute, but this must be why when girls fall like because those tight-knit groups of two or three girls definitely that's my experience in youth ministry when they fall out they fall out hard yeah right yeah because it's been based on loyalty and intimacy yeah right so it's a real breakup yeah right guys on the other hand form friendships based on doing things together yeah so it's so normal right you all know this listener um it's so normal for uh, a couple guys to play video games together and then that now we're friends mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very authentically uh, a guy will assume this guy's my buddy because we did some gaming together right uh, yeah. they don't have to share some vulnerable or intimate moment they don't have to have a, a high level of loyalty to one another now uh, over time guy friendships will often move to a, a, a place of more expectation on that. But initially the friendship is formed based on doing stuff. This is actually a ministry challenge for us. Most of our ministries, we kind of think of the ultimate place to go in terms of programming. We, we might do activity to uh, create a fun environment or bring kids in, but then where we hope to go is to places of conversation because that's where we can really do the spiritual work often, right? And that's great. I don't disagree with that. However, that is concurrently great for girls to form friendships, not great for guys to form friendships. Really interesting. So we we have to remember that uh, for guys to form friendships, our youth ministries have to also offer them opportunities to do things together. Yeah. 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 So guys, so, the I said girls tend to be in friendship groups of two or three with that high level of commitment. Guys tend to be at one of two extremes. They're either in a pack, an affinity group that's yeah. just gathered around some interest. We're the guys who skateboard. We're the guys who play this kind of video game. We're the guys who are nerdy and into chess and classical music, whatever, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, or they tend to be loners. And of course, there's some girls who are loners, but there's a lot more guys. And it really comes down to the reality that they have not yet figured out the code for how to form friendships based on affinity. Mm. Um, and so our, I think a really critical um, you know, commitment in our ministries has to be, how do we provide opportunities for teenage boys to, to form meaningful friendships? something that a lot of them really struggle with. That's so good. But, you know, I'm just thinking of that that phrase and hearing you speak that, that there really is some truth to it. 
um, that uh, girls do friendship face to face, guys do friendship shoulder to shoulder. There, re- you know, yeah. that really is. I don't think I to... said that, but I like it. Yeah, yeah, no, well, for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, okay, um, all of this is 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 super helpful. Re- really interesting. But just as we kind of come in to land on this episode of the podcast, Marco, yep. what what are the what are and you you have touched on some of this already, but in terms of faith formation, uh, yeah, in terms of you know leading young people into a you know independent and interdependent and robust relationship with Jesus, how should this understanding of the onset of abstract thinking um, yeah. at puberty impact how we do youth ministry and do that help young people to to know Jesus and, and in that abstract way, follow Jesus. Right. So maybe uh, the helpful thing here would be to create a little case study again. Okay. So remember Johnny, the kid who had the puberty party. Awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He loved it. Grew yeah. up, grew up <laughs> solid home, uh, grew up with an active and beautiful childlike faith, which is, is, so let's say he's kind of an ideal kid coming into about 13, 14 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. One of Johnny's beliefs that he has cobbled together over the years is uh, that God answers prayer. Awesome. We want him to have that belief. That's great. He probably nuances it a little bit, at least at a subconscious level. Um, It can't be a selfish thing that I'm praying for, and um, I have to really mean it. (laughs) That's his, like, (laughs) 14-year-old, you know, theology of prayer. Yeah. Johnny's favorite grandpa is diagnosed with inoperable cancer cancer, and he's given about a year to live. And Johnny remembers a Sunday school lesson where his teacher taught him that if he had the faith of a mustard seed, he could move up, cast a mountain into the sea. And he concludes, I'm going to get up five minutes early every morning and I'm going to spend five minutes every day praying for my grandpa. And Johnny genuinely believes I'm going to throw that cancer mountain into the sea. Now, listen, this is all great. Mm -hmm. I'm not in any way suggesting that this is somehow a negative thing or something to be laughed at or anything. This is all fantastic. Mm -hmm. The challenge happens when six weeks later, Johnny's grandpa dies, even Mm -hmm. though Johnny has been praying. And his belief about prayer, his childlike, concrete, black and white belief about prayer didn't work. Mm. And now with abstract thinking, he realizes that didn't work. And there's more to this. And I don't know what to do with it. And in very short story, that's why teenagers have so many doubts. It is because one by one, not all at once, usually one by one, they're different childlike beliefs, whether they were a Christian or not, their different beliefs from their concrete life are being brought into question and found to be not sustainable. Mm -hmm. They're not good enough. They're put on trial. Yeah. Usually not put on trial until they're needed. And so you'll find 16, 17, eight, you'll find 45 year olds who still have elements of a concrete child's faith that just hasn't been tested yet it's when it gets tested it's when johnny's grandpa dies after he was praying for him that suddenly this question either consciously or subconsciously gets asked and 
Johnny has three options at this point. Option one is to say, well, my belief about prayer didn't work, so I'm just going to reject it. And this is why we see so many teenagers who had an authentic faith as children move away from any kind of a meaningful faith by the time they end uh, their schooling years before they go to university, right? Um, And it's not because one day they sat down and analyzed the whole thing and then rejected it. It's because it's been Swiss cheesed. It's uh-huh. there's holes in it. So many along the way, little rejections that there's not enough of it there anymore to be sustained. Johnny's section, second option is <laughs> to say, well, this, but my belief about prayer didn't work, but it's all I have. So I'm going to hold on to it. Which is why so many of our churches are full of adults who have a basic moral code and would say they are Christians and follow Jesus but are not living a vibrant uh, life of faith, actively following Jesus, because they've got an eight-year-old's belief. Johnny's third option is the hardest one and often requires an adult's help. And Mm -hmm. that is for Johnny to raise that question about how prayer works from subconscious question to a conscious question. If he's a young teen, he really needs an adult to do this. Uh, And then uh, to analyze it and to dig into what could I replace this with that's more abstract and complex mm. and works and so, for my new abstract mind. And so this, this I guess, is where we come in as youth workers, right? Exactly. To help, yeah, to help. What a beautiful and critical role. I mean, it would be great if this was what all parents did and we can do it alongside parents, but in for many of the kids that we work with, their parents aren't doing this. And so we become... I mean, it's a really high responsibility, man. We we have this yeah. opportunity. Now, here's the thing. Johnny's probably not going to come to you if there's 20 Johnnies in your group who experienced that exact same thing. Maybe one of them would come to you, youth leader, and say, I'm having some real questions and struggles around prayer, and I need, and I'm wondering if you could help me figure it out. 19 of those Johnnies are not going to ask you for help. And you have to watch for the subtle indications that Johnny might be questioning this aspect of his faith. It might come up even in, in ways that are not pretty. Like you might ask Johnny to pray at the end of your small group time. And he says, I think prayer is stupid, right? Well, he is giving you a glimpse at his brain. Mm. He is giving you an insight into the fact that something's probably going on there that is making him question something. And it's deserving of a follow-up conversation at another time to explore that and see if maybe you can help him bring a subconscious doubt into the light yeah, and then to dig into the question together. This is is so good, Marco. And what it's making me think about is that we... We, we we cannot fear these questions and we must not reject them oh. because if we shut oh. down the opportunity to ask these questions, then we make faith implausible for yes. young people who are trying to engage, you know, yeah. move from the concrete into yeah, the let's, abstract. Let's say it in a really strong way. Uh, doubt is not only normative for teenagers, it's essential. Mm, formative, and yeah. If, and if we shame them or guilt them for having doubts we are working against our own goals here Mm. Mm. i'm not saying we should fan the flames of doubts but 
Look, I believe the mission of youth ministry is to walk alongside teenagers on their own journeys toward Christlikeness. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to walk alongside teenagers when a, when it's a time when they are naturally, and I would suggest created by God to be asking hard questions, yeah. then part of that is me not shaming them, but walking alongside them, honoring their questions, being honest with them, and then helping them develop their brains in a way that they're, they get good at digging for truth. God is not hiding. God wants to be revealed and wants to know our kids. This is the beautiful Mm -hmm. thing, right? We, Mm -hmm. we have a savior who wants to be known and wants to be in relationship with us. Mm. So if we help teenagers move in that direction, Jesus is very pleased to meet them there. Mm. Marco, I, I can't tell you how helpful and how stimulating this conversation has been. And no doubt it will have been for all of the leaders listening as well. But if I could ask you just to say like, like here, if you were going to go away from listening to this podcast and you were going to like reflect on and apply one thing that that, that would be a real game changer for you, what would that one thing be? Wow. One thing, huh? (laughs) Or at least, or maybe this is a better way to say it, the first thing. Okay, there we go. Uh, I think maybe the first thing is have patience with teenagers. Everything in their world is changing. Mm. But those years are, they're just, change is, it's all change. And for some of them, that's exciting. But for a lot of them, it's terrifying. Mm. and let's have compassion and curiosity and patience as we work with these uh these humans that are so lovingly and intentionally created by god not broken they're a wonder to behold yep um and walk alongside them i probably slipped in three ideas into one yeah no fair enough i'll I'll let you get away that (laughs) marco we as we've said we we we, this is really an introduction to the theme if people want to go away and find out more read more study more uh so that they can apply some of this stuff uh what would you recommend talk to us about some of the books and resources you've you've created and 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 things you would recommend for us to do from here sure uh, I've written a, a few books on this, um, and so you mentioned the Parents' Guide to Understanding Teenage Brains. That one's a, a really, a, a, like you said, it's a, a helpful for youth workers, whether you're a parent of teenagers or not. Very short little book. Um, I also wrote one called A Volunteer Youth Worker's Guide to Understanding Today's Teenager, also very short little book. Um the Youth Cartel, the ministry that I lead, has just a handful of little video-based courses on our website in our store, right. uh, and one of those is called Understanding Teenage Brains, and in it's a 60-minute uh, video version of what we've covered in these two weeks, everything but the anterior cingulate stuff, because I didn't know that when I recorded that series. Uh, so that's there. You could actually download that and show it to your team. Um uh, would be really helpful. And then I will recommend one more book uh, that I, ha- I have nothing to do with, but my learning on the anterior cingulate, which we talked about in the last episode, comes from a fascinating book written by the neuroscientists who discovered uh, all that stuff. And it is called How God Changes Your Brain. 
Wow, that sounds really interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and the Youth Cartel website for anybody who wants to go get uh, get a hold of those resources? Yeah, theyouthcartel.com. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And Marco, if people want to connect with you online via socials, uh, where do they find you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm easy to find on any of them. On Twitter, it's Marco's Beard. <laughs> it's, and then Marco has a K. Um, so it's M A R K O S beard. It started, the funny thing is, it started years ago as a joke Twitter account that were literally tweets from my beard. Uh, <laughs> and then I eventually discovered that it was like hundreds, thousands of youth workers following me. And I thought, okay, I guess I better make this my real Twitter feed. So uh, yeah, Marco's Beard is my Twitter account. Uh, Instagram is why is Marco? W-H-Y is Marco? Why is Marco? There you Fantastic. go. Fantastic. Marco, this has been so good and I, I and I know that it will be really just stimulating and helpful uh, and uh, actionable uh, for the for the youth workers listening. And and, and guys, uh, as you hear this and I, I you know, I'm sure for some of you it, it's it's new information you're going to want going to want to go away and, and and read some of Marco's stuff and reflect on this a little bit uh, deeper. I I just hope that a takeaway for you is how important a, a stage of life this is and therefore or how critical what you yeah. do as a youth leader, as a youth worker is. And so, you know, we, we say it every time on the podcast because I, I just want you to know it. what you're doing is important. So I just I want you to keep going even through the tough seasons, you know, uh, just the, the, the smile of God is over your life as you give yourself sacrificially to invest in the lives of young people. You're, you're obeying the Great Commission. You're changing the future. So please keep going with that. And hey, uh, if, if we can help you with uh, Limitless Leaders, 18th to the 20th of January, three days uh, of just practical uh, input, uh, like-minded community, spiritual ministry as well um, on those three days, then don't forget to check out limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash leaders. And we would love to see you there. But before then, we'll see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast.